Roger. Yeah, I think you're pulling the wrong one. I'm just... Okay, I'm ready to pull it down now. There was still a little bit uh, left in me. Okay, don't hold it quite so tight. Okay. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. This is how it's going to start. Back, back, snap, snaps. Making napkin runs. Pissing paper fun. Pissing in papers for fun, yeah. Crack. Smoking it. Yeah! Hey, welcome to Live the Tape. This is the extremely alternative 90s grunge intro version. Ah, just listen to that. It's like fucking pure, pure dip. Pure rip. <laughs> this is Silverchair from their first album. Sorry about this. It's just too loud. Welcome to Live to Tape. Uh, first off, I want to remind you that I will be on tour in July doing shows a bunch of places. Uh, hopefully, I'm doing more than this. Uh, if we can get, if I can get it together, but I'll be in Chicago on the 15th at the Hideout. I'll be in Milwaukee on the 16th at the Underground. I'll be at the Plus in Eau Claire on the 17th. I'll be in um, <laughs> my fucking calendar's all fucked up. I'll be in Minneapolis on the 19th at the Parkway Theater. I'll be in Iowa on the 20th at the Vaudeville Muse. Then I'll be in Union Hall in Brooklyn, not New York City, but Brooklyn on the 22nd of July, and Good Good in Philadelphia on the 23rd of July. You can buy tickets for most of those shows. I think all of them except for one are available for pre-sale right now. If you go to johnnypemberton.dog, the links are all there in the shows section. If you scroll down, very cool, exciting podcast today. I have a really interesting guest this man is a legit, uh, I just forgot what it's called when you study insects. It's called, what's it called when you study insects? Or an, an, no, an, anthropology. It's not, uh, not ornithology. That's birds. Anthropology is old people. Gerontology is old people. Anthropology is like old cultures. Uh, it's called, what's it called? Anthro, anthropo, entomologist. He's an entomologist. He's a super interesting entomologist named Mark Fox. We had a long conversation here over the phone. Um, he told me all kinds of crazy shit that I can't believe is real. And uh, you will <laughs> feel the same way. If you haven't subscribed to the Executive Buffet, which you're currently dipping your stainless steel spoon into right now, it's a slotted spoon, but it's got the hole, so it's just enough to grab a thick sauce, but not enough to make it where it's overwhelmingly sauce and not uh, chunks of bouillon meat. 
it's that kind of a you every if you're listening right now you have a beautiful brand new stainless steel slotted spoon it's got the holes in it not a real spoon and not a, one of those things that just has uh lets all the liquid out that's what we're dealing with right now here at the executive buffet we're on the back of daddy's big red truck on a bumpy road going downtown to check out the horses okay so please be sure you uh, rate review and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done already I love reading your reviews. They keep getting better because they're all so they're all so terrible in a way. They're terrible in a brilliantly wonderful way. Thank you for that. And please be sure to uh if you can't come see me in those places at those places I mentioned where I'm doing my comedy shows on tour and you know people who do live in those places, please be sure to tell them. It's super easy to do using social media. You just tag your friend. You do, hey, hey, Jeremy Stevenson, um, did you know that Bill, that Jimmy Jackson, Johnny Jason, Kevin Tipcorn is going to be in Philadelphia where you live and all of your super cool, respectful, but also engaged friends want to go to a show that's definitely going to get sold out. It's 100% going to get sold out in Philadelphia. Minneapolis is a big theater. I uh, would love to sell that out. Holy shit, that would be fucking great to sell that out. It's always great to sell anything out. So do that. Tag. Hear that? That's a dog whining. This is a dog that uses her snout to knock your hand off the mouse. She's that smart. She'd be like, don't use the mouse, daddy. I want to knock your fucking hand out to my side. Watch me take a sit. That's how my dog talks. That's rabbit. So um, make sure you do all that stuff. And please enjoy this wonderfully scintillating conversation with entomologist, scientist, researcher Mark Fox here only on the Executive Buffet set up in the back of Daddy's big red truck. See, it's a rad truck, it's a red truck. It's a rad truck, it's a red Microphone check, 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 Ah, the good old ring sound. Hello, this is Mark. Hello, Mark. It's Johnny. Hey, Johnny. Good evening. How's it going? It's great. How are you? I'm doing okay. Cool. Having a little bit of allergies today, so I apologize. Sounds stuffy, yeah. What kind of allergies do you get? I, I think it seems to be mold and some kind of pollen. Um, Today's the first day I've been fine, but then this morning I. It hit me when I left the house, and, and all the trees are starting to put out the pollen. So It's supposed to be real bad in L.A. coming up because we got so much rain. We have a spring so, right now. I've never seen a spring like this in L.A. Every, everything is just in bloom. It's crazy. I've been reading about it and, and looking at people's social media about mm-hmm. the big bloom and the, and the butterflies. Oh, and yeah. Flies everywhere? That, yeah, we de- I've seen a lot of butterflies. Um yeah, I, they've been they've kind of slacked off a bit, but there was I was driving someplace. I can't remember where it was. I think I was driving to Palm Springs about three weeks ago, and on the way back it was just a, like a fiesta. I felt bad actually because I was I was killing so many bugs. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you have to you have to get over that. <laughs> yeah, I mean the bugs the bugs forgive us because they run the world essentially. I feel like. Yeah, well, and, and when you, especially when you see them in a swarm like that, they are in literal lust mode. Like, okay. it's all about just trying to. They they have a short life, and they're trying to get some, and uh, they are willing to sacrifice. <laughs> they they take crazy risks and fly across the highway and expose themselves to all kinds of 
dangerous just for that moment. So bugs take a um, lot of risks, huh? They do. Uh, well, it, actually, I, I should say it depends. But when your lifespan is very short and uh-huh. you need to reproduce in that span, then you cannot take as much. You can't expend so much effort trying to avoid danger because if you do, then you'll miss your your window. So this is, like a, if, and you're an entomologist. Right? That's that's a person who studies <laughs> bugs, right? Yeah. Okay. I am studies bugs. That's to preface that's right. that, make sure that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about yes. insects. Yes. Um, yeah, I I study bugs now. Or I guess I don't study them anymore. I am done studying them, and now I work on them. Um, oh, cool. I, <laughs> I I work in medical diagnostics mm-hmm. uh, right now. Uh, on a team that focuses on diagnosing human parasites. Wow. So, Holy shit, that's it, crazy. It's pretty awesome. I, um, I never thought wow. I really wanted to help people before. It was always mm-hmm. like scientific curiosity was the driver. But now that I'm actually helping people, it's pretty satisfying. That's really cool because parasites, I feel like, are the thing that, that everyone is either um, – super repulsed by and they're really interested in it interested in it because of that or they're really interested in it because they're just really interested in it. it's one of those things where there's no person who has everyone has a reaction to the idea of parasites because it's just so in such intrinsic part of human nature to be just like oh because it's so devilish yes oh yeah it's it's hideous and confusing and how did this ever evolve because yeah. it's so complicated it's it's amazing um and I think that I feel that way about insects in general. Like uh-huh. that's a cool thing about that being my sort of area of, of interest and expertise is that anyone that I've ever come across, if I tell them I'm an entomologist, everyone has had an, an interesting experience or a scary experience or has some question about bugs. Like it's a universal, you, nobody has never seen a bug. Yeah. I mean, if someone hasn't, I would be like, well, that's one of those people who uh, we have, we'd have to study them. Because how haven't you seen a bug? And if you, yeah, that would be an interesting thing to have never seen a bug. I never thought about that before. That's something where it's truly like, wow. Yeah, they're just, I just, they're so, they're everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Well, and even if you don't see them, they're there. (laughs) Um, And and parasites, especially. Um, So so I guess right now, so I'm, I am the entomology, like if you imagine like a, uh, the, the team that I'm part of, the diagnostic team, mm-hmm. um, parasites includes things like malaria it, um, that, are, that are not insects. Right. Um, it's a virus, right? Malaria is a, a protozoan. Wow. So that's really small, right? Is that, my, is that right or my other way around? So it's, a, it's the other way around. Viruses okay. are subcellular, like a virus could get inside a cell. Oh, they're tiny. Okay. Right. And but malaria are, is like are a, still quite small. So it's almost like, is it bigger or smaller than a bacteria, or is it the same? Bigger. Bacteria, okay. are, bacteria are cells, but they're very... So I work on a lot of uh, poop and blood. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's, one of the, yeah. that's the quote of the century right there. I work on a lot of poop and blood. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, our, our fridge is full. Our workplace fridge is, is oh full Christ. of and blood. Um, I can't imagine and, how many labels you must have on there. Because anytime oh, I've been in any sort of lab, they're always like, do not put your lunch in here. There's all these signs uh-huh. that say, no lunch in this. this is a laboratory freezer. Yeah. I can't imagine that. Yeah. There would be a great book, accident lab accidents throughout history, just involving lunch misplacement. 
Yeah, there's a horrible one that has oh, stuck with yes. me. Um, there's, so there's a woman whose name escapes me, but she won a Pulitzer Prize for her writing about the sort of discovery and the epidemiology of uh, HIV. But uh -huh. then she wrote an, an entire book about um, parasitic diseases in general, or just disease, infectious diseases in general. Is this um, Mary Roach? Oh, gosh, it might be. Um, I know there's someone who wrote a book about, I feel like someone maybe handed this to me or recommended it, but I'm not sh It seems familiar, but maybe I'm thinking of the woman who wrote a book about um, like how, how we die or coffins or something like that. I don't know. It sounds, seems familiar. But she wrote a book about what you were talking about? Lori Garrett. Okay. Lori Garrett is the author, and the book is The Coming Plague. And, it, and it's been out for a long time, but there's a story in it of a woman, a nurse, working during a cholera outbreak. Um, and, you know, just swamped and working, you know, crazy shifts because people were, it was a medical emergency um, across the whole city they were living in. This was probably and in like of, the 1800s or something? Oh, uh, I want to say maybe more recent, but, but probably early, early 1900s. Okay. Um, and cholera is a, a disease that gives you terrible diarrhea to mm -hmm. the point where you dehydrate and can die from it. And so, yeah. I apologize if, if, uh, if people don't want to hear about disgusting poop and medical emergencies, but, but, but essentially um, rice water is the term for severe cholera diarrhea because it comes out basically water and cells like from your intestinal lining. It's Dear just God. Sort of white water. And this poor nurse was, uh, you know, in a, in a daze from all the work she had been doing and she picked up a glass and drank from it. And it was, the rice water from of, of cholera, like so, it's just like clear liquid. She just contracted horrible. cholera, basically. Yes, although I think she, they because she, they immediately knew what she had done, oh, okay, um, and were able to sort of jump on it very quickly, and and so she, she did make it through. She just drank just, a bunch of wine. Yeah, but it, yes, it turned out it had passed through a person. God. <laughs> um, so you say you you work with a lot of feces and blood. Feces and blood. Um, so worms. All right, well, so you can get tapeworm you've heard of. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a big one. That's a popular like that. one. Yes. That's the old school. So, that's the one, the first one you learn about, I feel like, that really is like, oh, this thing is a thing. It's terrible. Yeah, that's a parasite that I think everybody's aware of uh -huh. and familiar with the, the idea of it. But there are parasitic insects, too, like ticks will sort of latch onto you and, and bite you, and, and there's some things that'll, some flies that'll lay eggs if you have a sore or a wound, and they'll sort of dig in there. Um, yeah, those are bad. Yeah, so so that's my. I'm learning all the other stuff too, but what I brought into this team and, and why they hired me was my entomology background. Wow. So, what was the thing that do you remember when you were young? There was just something that sticks out in terms of like a, oh, I I really want, I like this more than other people do, or I like this more than anything else. Um, I have a, I guess a a, a couple. I um. When I was, uh, I guess, adolescent, sort of preteen and mm -hmm. still like playing cops and robbers with my, you know, my, my friends in the neighborhood, I had one friend and we had decided we wanted to try to live out the Indiana Jones dream okay. of, you know, what is a job that can take you to exotic locations to then have adventures and, you know, be in the jungle and, and, and all of that. And so we decided, you know, well, one of us should be a scientist and the other should probably be a a doctor, because that, that way we can be a good team and when we're having our adventures in the jungle. So that was the first inkling of like, 
oh yeah, I think I might be the scientist, I, but I wasn't sure. I was leaning toward plants at that point when I was like 12. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, when I got to college, uh, I had a really great class at University of Maryland. So it was one of these giant. Did you grow up in Maryland as well? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I went to Maryland and, and it's a big enough school that, you know, in the freshman biology class, it's 500 kids. Mm -hmm. You don't get to meet the teacher. You don't do any of that. But my friend, my best friend, who is also an entomologist now, um, he went up and talked to the teacher after class because he was a nerd and was really excited about her lecture. And so she gave him a, a position, like a volunteer student position in her lab. Bug handler, huh? Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. basically. And she, just through luck, she was I mean, she's an amazing scientist, and she comes from uh, – there's a, a scientist who's very, very famous outside of the world of entomology. Like, he's one of these guys who writes popular science books, so okay. they make it into the general culture. His name is E.O. Wilson. E.O. E.O. Is, is abbreviation, so Edmund Wilson. Okay. And she, she was his last student, his last Ph.D. student. Wow. And he, so he studies social insects and writes these books about what does it tell us about humans because we're all so social. Oh, cool. Can we... Yeah, I never heard yeah. of him, but that's I just did a quick little type his name in. That's interesting. I have no idea. He so... has a lot of books. I mean, he has a lot of science mm -hmm. books for science, but he has a lot of books that, that are intended, directed for lay people. That's so, cool. Um, that's a solid recommendation. But yeah, so we were. he was very lucky to get in her lab, and then uh -huh. he was like, hey, Mark, get in on this. And, wow. uh, and that was basically it. Uh, the first really good experience I had with a science teacher in college was with entomology, and that is that was how it happened. It set its I hooks. It did, yeah. Like I, I had a great, compelling teacher, and she brought me into a department that, you know, there's a bunch of exciting stuff going on. They were very welcoming to students, and uh, and it was such a positive experience that it it I think I'm still sort of trying to keep that alive. So what was the, in terms of insects, what, what was the first thing you did sort of a deep dive on and started studying or were uh, you really interested in? The lab that I joined, so my friend joined the termite lab and then I joined a lab that was doing um, trophic, the, the ecology of trophic interactions. So trophic interactions is things eating other things. Okay. So like um, uh, an, a plant is an autotroph because it feeds itself. So troph, troph refers to eating. Okay. That's so close to phototropism. That almost sounds like the, but it's not the yeah. same. It's, it's a different word, right? Tropism is movement. Okay. Trope and troph? Trope, T-R-O-P-H. Okay, so T-R-O-P-H. Okay. So you, you got into the um, to, to trophism. Yes. Uh -huh. So so it was tritrophic. So that's three levels of trophic interaction. So you, so if you picture the you know the food chain, right? The plants produce food from sunlight, and then um, herbivores, uh, which is basically vegetarian animals, mm -hmm. eat the plants, and then you have predators is the third level. So tritrophic is a predator, an herbivore, and a plant. Wow. At its most simple. Mm -hmm. so, so he was looking, and so we went out to this salt marsh of the Atlantic coast. I don't know if you've spent much time, like Atlantic City. Okay. We were working in sight of it. You could see Atlantic City from, from the field station we worked at. Um, and we would suck up bugs with this giant vacuum cleaner 
In the Literally. water, in the salt marsh? Yeah, so it's wet, but it's um, we were up in the muck like with our rubber boots on, and mm-hmm. we would just take this vacuum, and we'd go out and say, okay, well, here's a square plot of plants, and we're going to suck up all the insects that are on it, and we're going to... Um, you know, look at look at the the interactions between the things we'd, we'd have to identify what's there, and then mm-hmm. we'd have to say, you know, what category is it in, and, and and try to trace these interactions, and then we would do manipulations and say, if you fertilize this plot, um, that's going to attract more herbivores because the plants become more nutritious because of the higher protein right. from the fertilizer. And then if you do that, like, like there's time lag of how, how long does it take or how long does it persist? Um, so basically manipulating, doing field experiments, manipulating the, the different aspects of the system and seeing how the other components of the system would change in response. Was there anything that was really uh, dynamic that, that came out of that? Yeah. Um, so, and and this concept has sort of followed me through because I, I think it's just a very basic concept in in, in biology. But mm-hmm. but the idea of trade-offs, where if you commit more of a resource to one area, then you are necessarily taking it away from something else, like okay. budgeting, basically. Yeah, like you only have so many points to spend, so they have to you have to mm-hmm. decide where you're going to spend it based upon your environment, right? Yes, that's exactly it. Okay. And and it turns out that that. Ecology is a incredibly complicated and therefore confusing and hard to understand thing mm-hmm. um, because it's it's got especially if you're working in the field where you can't control everything because like you can't tell when it's going to rain you can't yeah. tell what's what's going to go on um, and so in ecology it's all about explaining the patterns that you see and if you focus on one factor I'm trying to say this in a way that's accurate but not confusing um, if you focus on one aspect of a complicated system you can and then can explain some portion of the outcome that you see um, like you're never going to explain everything by just one factor right but you can say statistically like we manipulated this one factor and we think that, you know, 10% of the variation in the final outcome can be explained by this factor. There's 90% of the remaining variation that's probably due to a whole bunch of other stuff and randomness and whatever, but this one factor does play a role, and we can sort of show that. Okay. And so, so things like, yeah, like if you fertilize, does that explain then how many eggs the herbivores lay in the next generation mm-hmm. because they got all the protein so then they do they have the capacity to produce more babies and it's like well yeah they did that's probably not the only thing that affected whether they could produce more babies but it is a factor so it's it's just really it's messy and frustrating but um because it takes a long time good. to isolate all kinds of different things right so you have yeah. i see what you're saying yeah, yeah. so what, but it's also very satisfying and you know these are important questions yeah what is it right now that uh, that you're working on that's really interesting? Um, so I'm now in a role where I don't have projects in the mm-hmm. same way, um, which is which is probably good for me. Okay. Um, after my many experiences in grad school, I've learned I like working in part of a team. I don't like long term 
open-ended project. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I get, so doing diagnostics, we get cases that come in um, and it's very well suited to my attention deficit. So this is tropical diseases it, kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, we focus on, we, we, do, we do deal with worldwide cases, but for the most part, it's Americans. But, but even still, there's immigrants, there's people who go on vacation to tropical areas. Um, and there are some parasites that are endemic in the U.S. And, uh, Can you talk about some of those? Get, yeah. Um, so we get cases, um, a lot of the diseases of the tropics used to be in the U.S., Really widespread and like what have been uh, well. So this is a, a viral disease, but like dengue, dengue used to be fever. in the southeast United States. Malaria used to be all the way up into Canada. Wow, um, what happened? Um, uh, good, like mosquito control and air conditioning and window screens and um, basically we have all the things you would need <laughs> mm -hmm. to have malaria in the U.S. But the disease has been pushed away so that, you know, the mosquitoes that, that transmit malaria are here and they're biting people, but they don't have the disease itself. So if malaria got reintroduced to the United States in a big way, then it could reestablish potentially. So, like, there's, there's things that are thought of as being tropical, but they aren't necessarily, they don't have to be tropical. They just are because that's where they've been, they've been eliminated from a lot of the temperate countries, which are also many of them more developed and have better wow. so, like, sanitation. And so we control. used to have malaria, but we got rid of it by, so the, the disease just basically what did, it wasn't successful. So it started it died off essentially here because it was too hard to, to, to live. So, um, so eradication is like a, the obvious goal for like for any really dangerous bad disease, you want to eradicate it completely. Right. But they've only done that really for like smallpox and they're very close on polio mm -hmm. and they're very close on a disease called guinea worm. Oh, guinea worm. <laughs> but, but you can eradicate it from an area and if it exists somewhere else, there's always the chance it could come back. So yeah, wow. so yeah, basically they, they eliminated it. And I want to say that the, the pesticide DDT, which is, you know, everyone knows now as being a, a Bad for the environment, bad for the ecosystem, but mm -hmm. it's great for killing mosquitoes. And so they they really eliminated, they controlled the malaria vectoring mosquitoes mm -hmm. in North America, north of Mexico. And so now the mosquitoes are they, they exist, but they're but they're not carrying malaria. That's why I had no idea. I I always thought that was something that was, yeah. I just didn't realize that was the case. But wow. Yeah. Well, it's not that long ago. I, I want to mm -hmm. say it was. Still, like maybe the 1950s that they really started to, to get it out of North America. Crazy. And malaria is a pretty terrible disease, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, of the parasitic diseases, I would say it is the worst in terms of number of people getting sick and dying. Like people do die from it, but they also get very sick and like can't work. And um, so there's a lot of, yeah, it, it's, is it, is it it's very prevalent. And, it is. It's treatable, yeah, for sure. But, so it's um, not curable, but it's treatable. Is there a difference, right? Because one thing, it's you can live with it, but another thing is where it's it's gone, right? Is that what the difference between curable and treatable? That is, and so I guess by I guess malaria is curable. It um, is okay. You, get it, like you can. It's it's preventable and it's curable, but you have to you have to 
know the right treatment, and that's actually part of where well, what we what I do right now uh, comes in is is we'll get a case where someone, you know, from a a regional hospital will say, um, we think this is malaria, but we don't know which kind because there's several species of malaria, oh, and, and they'll send it to us, and then we will either look at it through a microscope and say, oh yeah, that's this species, so you should use this treatment. Um, or we'll say, oh, we can't tell what it is through a microscope, and then we'll hand it over to the molecular diagnostics people, and they'll do a, a PCR, like a genetic test wow. that, that can what species it is. Because so the treatment is not the same. They send you like some uh, some some feces or something for, of the person? How do they... Well, for malaria, it would be blood, yeah. Blood, okay. But yeah, blood and... For some blood of the other poop. parasites, it would be poop, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, so, so it, yeah, it's great. We get cases all the time. It, a lot of them are, I don't want to say routine, because it's, first of all, it's, it's still exciting to, mm-hmm. to look at the microscope for me as a scientist, but it's also never routine because it's, you know, there's a sick person who's waiting for the answer. Do you so think that there's, a, a, is there a parasite in the United States that you think is, is could, if it came back, it would have like, what's the most disastrous pa- parasite? Parasites, um, so... The really, the really bad diseases that are like highly contagious from mm-hmm. person to person are mostly not non-parasitic. Okay. Right. So, so parasitic diseases can be really bad. They can be some of them can be fatal. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, in fact, like they can be very, very bad if it's the right one. But usually, that's a rare event. Okay. There are a lot. Yeah. So, so parasitic diseases are not like, like if we got, you know plague or a smallpox, you know, escaped from the <laughs> containment unit and, and, and made it back out into the world. Those are the ones where it's very, very bad and could spread rapidly among people. And, and parasitic diseases, for the most part, don't really fall into that category of, like, directly, rapidly contagious right. and super dangerous. What are the really um, dangerous parasitic diseases? A lot of the ones... <laughs> So um, a lot of the ones that are rapidly deadly are ones that are not really evolutionarily adapted to be in a person. Oh, okay. Like what? Which is, so there's a, there's a, a cool concept that, uh, so virulence is the term for how rapidly har- harmful and, or deadly a, mm-hmm. a disease is. Right. And if you think from the evolutionary perspective of the disease organism, if it gets into you and kills you, how is it going to get out of you and then infect someone else? Yeah, so it wants to keep you alive enough to work and travel. Exactly. So, Got it. Oh, okay. So if it's a disease that's supposed to be in, you know, uh, if it's supposed to be a disease of ducks or something weird, it might be in the water where a person might swim, and mm-hmm. if they're very unlucky and they're in the wrong pond, and you know, uh, it happens, they swallow it, and, and it just happens to take. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it, it's like I'm not in a duck. I don't know what to do, and it it could proliferate really, oh. really wildly, or it could do like if it's in a duck, it knows the duck's system. I say knows. It's, it doesn't know anything. It's a tiny little, you know, but but it. But it's adapted to to be able to go to the right 
system. Like it might go to the duck's stomach. So it keeps it alive. It goes to the wrong place and goes to your brain. And then it can do all sorts of harm. So, so a lot of the, the more harmful parasitic diseases are when it's a disease of an animal or, or something that, that is not adapted to be in a person. And so when it goes in a person, it just gets crazy and goes to the wrong place and it does all kinds of damage. Ooh, like what? So have you heard of um, the brain-eating amoeba? Yeah. Oh, those are, those are bad. <laughs> so, um, and some of those are just, uh, they're just around. They're just in sort of warm water, mm-hmm. just not doing anybody any harm. But if you... Um, if you expose yourself to it in just the right way, then it can actually get into you and infect you. And if you are immune compromised, particularly like if you're on immunosuppressive medication or if you have a disease that affects your immune system, Mm -hmm. then they can get in you and also just go to town and do a lot of harm. So, so the exposure for those, like if you think it's in a, in a warm water system, um, one way that people get it is by swimming in the local watering hole uh-huh. and like they do a cannonball and this thing goes and gets, you know, if you swallow it, your stomach will mostly dissolve it and, and no harm done. But if it goes right. up under your eyelids or up into your sinuses, then it can get um, into your sort of mucous membranes and, it, and it's a very short trip from there to your brain. God. So when's the last case uh, of this that you saw? We get a couple of those each year, I would say. Um, Are they always fatal? They're not always fatal, but some of them are usually some of them are usually fatal. Um, Jesus. But yeah, for the most part, I mean, you know, it's like um, sort of akin to. uh, I want to say it's sort of akin to like a staph infection, where it's something that in its most most of the time, it's not doing anyone any harm. It's just sort of always there. You have staph mm-hmm. bacteria, staphylococcus bacteria on your skin just naturally. Right. But if they get in the wrong place, then they can go nuts. Like if, if you have a surgical cut and the staph bacteria from your skin gets way inside your body, um, then, it, then it can just go, go to town. So, wow. So let's, so yeah, let's, let's shift a back there. In the US every year. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, so I want to talk more about insects because that's what we're kind oh, of yeah. initially <laughs> Because you're talking about uh, how you're working with parasitic insects. So obviously the amoebas are terrible and that stuff. That stuff is all so small. It's almost, you know, it, it, right. you can't really enjoy it in terms of like <laughs> what it looks like. And no, stuff. It, look, it looks like a little blob, even under a microscope. It's um, nothing. It, it just looks like, you know, a blob among other blobs. Wow. So as far as insects goes in that realm, what is out there that's really interesting that you've, that you've encountered or, or have worked on? Um. So, pardon me, um, there's, there's a term called myiasis, uh-huh. which is M-Y-I-A-S-I-S, mm-hmm. um, and that is when a maggot, which is just the term for the larva of a fly. Uh-huh. Any kind sounds, of fly, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a maggot has this gross connotation of like you find it in rotting food or in corpses or whatever, but any, you know, these fly larvae are, are, are considered maggots. Right. Um, there are, so you can get myiasis from flies that will lay their eggs, uh, 
where you might have a sore or, or a cut, and then the maggots will develop and try to um, sort of live in the wound. Um, and that's not very common, but it does happen. Um, they're... Happens like really dirty kids, right? <laughs> Filthy children running around the neighborhood have myasis uh, in their in their their play cut. We try not to associate to stigmatize people who get sick from these things. Um, I mean, it's hard not to. I suppose it's a thing where I think personally, I would feel, I would feel nasty if I had something like that happen to me. I think I would be like, I think I'd be embarrassed about it. Like I got this. No, yeah, it's it's like people have a visceral, you know, mm-hmm. distaste for having bugs on them. Um, Do you but, know about this so idea I, about spider bites? About how. There's a lot of, um, I read this somewhere a long time ago, and I haven't, I can't think where I've read it to find it again, but something about how basically people hate spiders so much that it's, uh, a lot of times when someone gets a staph infection or they have like a cut that gets infected, the, the ER and places will say it's a spider bite when actually it's just a cut, a tiny cut that got infected with something and it's just because your skin was dirty and not because of a spider. Oh, I have so much to say on this. Okay. Let's say it. I want to hear you say it. Um, that really, so really pisses me off because I'm like, it's not, it's, it's your fault. It's not the fucking, it's not an animal. Animal didn't do this to you. Yes. So um, you're absolutely right. There is a tendency for doctors who treat uh, those kinds of wounds to say that it's a, uh, the, the the big victim here is the brown recluse spider. Right. The brown recluse gets the brown recluse. If you think if you hear what people say about brown recluse, you think it's the most goddamn dangerous thing alive. The that, name is recluse. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It doesn't like to. <laughs> it stays away. It doesn't like attention. It's exactly. a fucking recluse. <laughs> so I've actually worked with the sort of world expert on how doctors mess that up all the time. Oh, cool. Uh, his name's Rick Vetter, mm-hmm. and I think he's at UC Riverside. Oh wow! Or he he was when I uh, worked a little bit with him. Right. Um, and he's got a bunch of papers about, about exactly that. Wow. Like, hey, doctors, if you don't know how to identify a spider, then maybe you should not say that it's a, <laughs> that it's due to a spider bite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he you know the the example that I recall from his paper is that like in a 10-year period in, I want to say, South Carolina, there were, I'm just making up numbers, but 75 cases of, you know, uh, wounds that failed to heal that were attributed to brown recluse spiders. Right. And he said, looking through the scientific literature for that same 10-year period, there were zero reports from any entomologist of finding (laughs) an single brown recluse spider in the state of South Carolina. Like wow. they, they simply don't occur there or if they do, it's incredibly rare and not where people would encounter them. So, yeah. Um, so he's like, yeah, if you don't have the spider itself, don't say it's necessarily due to a spider. And even if you do have the spider itself, send it to an expert because yeah. they're, they don't like roam around biting people who are, you know, you can get bit, but it's usually like you reach into the wood pile or you, you know, you're in the back of your gardening shed and, like you have to go intrude into an area where they would be. Yeah, it's pretty hard. It doesn't happen. It's like in your sock or something like that. Yeah, Unless, they don't roam around. Either. Yeah, like they don't. Spiders that do roam around and hunt, but spiders that live in a web. Like, if you don't recall 
if you were sitting on your sofa watching TV and suddenly you, your neck hurt, it probably wasn't a brown recluse spider. They don't come out of their web and go attack people. Right. And the treatment is different too. Like if you have a staff, like you might treat, and this is, a, this is definitely out of my area of expertise. So we need the disclaimer here, but that's okay. <laughs> that, that's my whole thing with podcasts is this, no one knows anything. Yeah. Just, just let it, let don't, it rip. No, so, don't let give it yourself rip. medical treatment based on this, but, yeah. but um, you know, like giving steroid, you might give steroids for uh, an inflammation, mm -hmm. but if you give steroids for a staph infection, it might, Low, you know, like it might influence your immune system's ability to fight the infection. So if you misattribute the cause of the wound, then you could end up giving the wrong treatment that right. actually has a harmful outcome. Wow. Freaking spiders. Yeah. No, you landed right on, a, right on a sweet spot for me right there. Is there anything more you can say about that that's, that you've encountered? Um... You so uh, sort of akin to that is the idea. Uh, I mean, it, this is not really an entomology thing; it's mm -hmm. just a general thing. Is that that people's sort of visceral fear can lead to them really fixating on the idea that they have parasitism? Wow. To, um, to varying levels. Like mm -hmm. I've had it where if I see a bunch of spiders crawling around, or if like I was just under my house like fixing a pipe or something. Oh, and yeah. I see a ton of spiders. I get out and I feel like I've got spiders crawling on me. Yeah, that's so, interesting. Like, sort of you have the illusion, but it's sort of plausible because you were just where there were spiders. Yeah, but it makes sense. Get... It's probably like a good evolutionary response to yeah. something. Because be like, okay, you should be aware of this on you. So if you feel something, it's like, Anytime I find, uh, like, anytime we've ever had like a mouse in our house, and you find the, you see the 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 mouse poop, which looks like every everything you see starts to be like, oh, that's mouse poop. Yeah, you have like a heightened awareness. <laughs> yeah, anything small, any small black speck is immediately suspect to be uh, to be mouse poop, even though it's probably right. not. You throw but out your poppy seed bagels. You... Oh God, yeah, you just go go crazy. <laughs> Um, yes, exactly. But then you get people who who carry that to a point where you, it becomes uh, you can get delusions of parasitosis, where even after like, you know, like you might go to me and say, "Hey, can you check me? I just, you know, I was just in a space with a lot of spiders. Can you just mm -hmm. check me? Do I have any spiders on me?" And I go, "Oh no, you don't. You're fine." And then you go, "Okay, well, I guess I'm fine." But you can get persistent delusions where people will really be determined beyond, you know, any real evidence or plausibility that they, that they have parasitism. And so they'll, they'll fixate on the idea that they have, um, parasites, they, they, huh? they're sure that they have parasites. And so then they were, their brain will find them. Are and, you familiar and, with the, uh, the idea of something called Morgellons disease? <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. So, so that falls into that same category where right. it's, it's it, um, there's not really any rigorous scientific support that, that, that that's a thing, uh -huh. um, which, you know, who knows? It's, it's, it, there's always, you have to stay open to like, well, you know, there have been things that were shrugged off as, as being delusional before just right. because we didn't have capacity to understand that it was real. What, but, thing, what things were those, do you think? I mean, I don't know. I don't know personally. Well, so, um, like, like there's things in the area of, um, uh, I want to say, if, 
Wow. Now, now I'm worried. I'll, I'll step in it. But, but say like, it. Just uh, say, I want you to say it. Say <laughs> fibromyalgia it wrong. Is, is a thing. Fibromyalgia. People... Yeah, I think that fibromyalgia is a very. How, well, so how can you? How can I prove whether you are or are not experiencing real pain? Right. And, and so I think that a lot of people who had that early on were not taken seriously because there was not the capacity to sort of document what was. But isn't it still that way to some extent? Isn't that like a thing where fibromyalgia is very, it's a very open to interpretation as to whether or not someone is experiencing the, um, the pain that they claim. And also even then it's like, what, what is pain? Right. So, yeah, so it's, 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 so you, you, and you can imagine then how there might be people who are, experiencing very serious pain. Like, I think they are starting to corroborate some of that with, with as far as like the, the pain issue and, and going like, oh yeah, we've, we found like a chemical basis or a neurochemical basis for, for what these people are, mm-hmm. are experiencing. But then you could also have people who are just believe that they have it. And yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's a tough, you get into, into tough areas with, um, yeah, telling people that what they're experiencing isn't valid or it isn't, isn't real. Yeah. Uh, but with some of the delusion, delusional parasitosis things, um, there is physical evidence. You know, people will say, no, I found it. This is the parasite. And they'll take it to me, uh-huh. the team that I'm on, and say, I think this, or they'll take it to their doctor, and the doctor will take it and say, hey, this person sent this to me. I don't think it's a parasite, but I'm not an expert. Can you tell me if it is or it isn't? And we'll say, nope, that is a you know, a cornflake or that is a scab. <laughs> or I mean, people like, if you think you've got parasites and then you see something on your skin, right. that to you, that's a parasite and you take yeah. it to your doctor as, as proof that it is. Um, and it's, it must be incredibly frustrating because like, it's a real, like they're experiencing it. Like these delusions are mm-hmm. a real thing going on in their brain. They can't, they're not deciding. Oh yeah. Know, to, to do it. It's so going to be them, terrible. It's, it's like that thing. People think they're being gang stalked. You familiar with this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like that that's sort of along the same lines as Morgellons. It's this thing where, like, you are, it's a, it's an extreme form of paranoia that's manifesting itself into thinking this. And it's, it's, it's also really very sad. hard to prove something's not real. <laughs> yeah, because the, the, what's the whole thing is the burden of proof is on the accuser kind of thing. So right. you can't prove something's not happening if it's not happening. Right. Sort of. I don't, know, I don't know if I said that yeah. right, but basically, it's yeah. yeah, it's hard to prove what is untrue. Yes. Yeah. Because um, it could just mean that you're not seeing it, or it could mean it's yeah. not there. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Because that. So, I don't know. That's that's stuff. <laughs> I I I kind of not bothered by, but I find it infinitely fascinating just to the degree that people, their brains decide something is a thing because there's just because. Like how something manifests in terms of like fear or any type of thing, how it physically manifests is so interesting. And so much, so much of the time, like, it's like we're talking about, it gets blamed on insects because people, it's easy to, to blame something that is, that has no voice and is sort of universally yeah. hated. Yeah. Well, and it's very small and yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's very foreign. Um... You ever been bitten by anything cool? Oh man, um, <laughs> I have. So again, I, I I talk about them all the time. But so my best friend and I uh, started at Maryland together, and we both became entomologists. He is an infectious. He's a pediatrician 
So he's a medical doctor mm-hmm. and an entomologist, and he studies allergy and immunology. So, so like bites and stings and people's reactions to, um, like like bee al- honeybee allergies, yeah. which can be deadly. Um, oh yeah. Or so, so he and I have been stinging each other with things intentionally for years. No way! Uh, like, what's what was the first one? You remember? Um, so it started out with we would just try to take photos anytime we got stung because we're always like traipsing around in the woods yeah. or kicking over logs and you know disturbing hornets nests. So it started sort of passively collecting information of like anytime you get stung, document it and take pictures of the wound. Right. Um, over time and see how it develops and that. But but then they're like, well, we're never going to get stung by this thing. It's just too uncommon. So we need to go find it, catch it, and stick it on ourselves. Cool. Um, and we would take turns doing it. Uh, so uh, stinging caterpillars. I lived, so he, Holy I went shit. to Tulane University in, in New Orleans. Oh, so did my dad. Uh, yeah, so a I, of sting, I listened to A lot of stingers down there. <laughs> yes, yes, plenty of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually this, this cycles back nicely to the stories of, of, of delusions. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you, have you spent any time down there? I spent a bunch of time down there. Yeah, actually with my family and also I, I made a couple of movies down there. So I spent, had a lot of downtime in new Orleans, which is great. And also, um, bad cause you gain weight and stuff, but yes, no, it's, it's, it, it, having downtime in new Orleans mm-hmm. is, uh, is the city's made for my uh, girlfriend got eaten up. Like I've never seen someone get so bitten, uh, on their legs. We went to some, some friend of mine who worked on uh, 21 Jump Street, he had a, his brother, was like a hipster dude in New Orleans. Like, there's a lot of like sort of, I don't know how you describe him, but I would describe him as sort of like um, swamp hipsters. Like, it's like a different variety. <laughs> sure. And we went to this, this big tree house they built in someone's house, the back of someone's house in like uh, someplace in like. The, with it. And we went there at night. And I think I had on pants or something, or maybe I had on shorts. I don't know. But either way, I did not get bitten, really. But she had like 60 or 70 bites on each leg from something we didn't see. We saw nothing. There's nothing out there. But she got eaten up. And it was crazy just because, like, you forget that down in those areas, like in the south, it's just there's, there's, there's a lot of shit out there at night that'll bite the hell out of you. So with that... um had she been in the South before she's from the South or no, she's from time? California. So, you know, okay. cause so there's chiggers, right? Which is, which is a little mite. No and seams, I had a, right? uh, okay. So no seams are a fly. Oh, they're different. I didn't realize that. Okay. Well, so, so common <laughs> names are a huge frustration because yeah, people they are, call I bet. different stuff. Um, so what I know of, of, of no seams are tiny little biting gnats, like, they hurt when they bite you, and they're, they buzz around your head like they can make like a cloud of, of basically dots in the air. But oh, they wow. do fly. They're mm-hmm. fly. So to me, that's what a noceum is. Got it. But, you know, it makes sense that in other parts of the world, like anything that's so small you can't see it could be called a noceum. So. Right. But chiggers are a, are a mite that normally bites and lives on snakes and reptiles and things. Ooh. And so they're in the tall grass in the southeast, mm-hmm. and they will crawl up your leg if you walk in the tall grass and they will run to like a constricted area of your clothing. So like the waistband of your underpants or the tops of your socks or oh, okay. like bra straps for, for ladies. Right. And they'll try to wedge themselves under that. I think it's because they think they're trying to wedge themselves under a, a like a reptile scale. Oh, that makes sense. You. 
It makes sense to me, but that's that's my own theory. Yeah. But but then they'll drop off because they're like, oh, well, I'm not on a snake. I'm going to give up. Right. But they, the enzyme in their saliva will continue to make a wound. Um, and so I, I am incredibly sensitive to these things, and I get them all the time to the point where I've had hundreds and hundreds of them on me at once, basically oh. everywhere, everywhere from the waist down, and I mean everywhere. Jesus Christ. Um, but I went out with a, a friend of mine. <laughs> who wasn't, wasn't from the South, and we went to the same place, and he had nothing. And it turned out it, they were biting him too, but his uh, immune system, the first time that it gets you, your immune system doesn't recognize it as anything. Oh. So you don't develop like an allergic bite response. There's no histamine response. It, exactly. You don't get wow. inflammation. You don't get the itching. But then the second time, hmm. that, then you'll get the full effect. So I was just wondering, maybe, maybe oh. that's why you didn't get it and she did. I don't know. That's weird. I've never heard of that. That's crazy. That's so interesting. Man, so the first time's free. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, like with honeybee stings, people who have the deadly honeybee allergy don't die from the first sting, although they yeah. might get a, a more severe than normal reaction. It's but, a progressive thing, right? Yeah, because your immune system then gets trained of like, oh no, we got to watch out for this thing. And so it pumps out all of these. Um... Oh, now this is well out of my knowledge but but it basically pumps out a bunch of specialized molecules that can recognize bee venom uh-huh. and so then the next time you get stung your system is loaded and like has has the has the search image down for like this is bee venom we're going to yeah. be ready and so then it generates this huge response um much your, your immune system has to can't be prepared for something it's never experienced but yeah, once it right. has experienced and it's ready. Well, what were you saying about, uh, you were talking about New Orleans, though. You were in Tulane. You, you were uh, caterpillar <laughs> bites. You were about to say something about that. I yeah. sort of... So there's a caterpillar called the buck moth. Buck, um, like B-U-C-K? B-U-C-K. Mm-hmm. And it's all over the country, but it really likes oak trees. And I mean, as you definitely saw, uh, live oak trees are everywhere, like the beautiful trees that overhang all the streets. Right. And so... Quercus virginiana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the best yeah, plant well, names I think there is. <laughs> and so it's used for landscaping, and so these caterpillars can can really accumulate and build up these huge, huge populations. And they all hatch at roughly the same time in the spring, and then they're caterpillars, and they eat all the leaves, and they you know poop everywhere and wander everywhere. Um, and then they go into the soil to become uh, a pupa, um, and then they don't emerge as moths until November. So they have this weird life cycle where they're caterpillars in like April, and then all these moths come out of the ground in November. Mm-hmm. But the caterpillars have a really painful sting. Oh, cool. And I've been stung by them a bunch of times because I had a big oak tree in my yard there. And uh, so speaking back to the, to the the delusional thing, my wife's friend was a psychiatric nurse in Baltimore and she called us and she had a, a, a patient at the psych facility who was from New Orleans and was, you know, severely schizophrenic and, you know, not always, you couldn't always trust the things that she was saying. But Sounds like your average out. New Orleans resident. <laughs> yeah. <Oops. laughs> Sorry. Yeah. But then, you know, in Baltimore, so it really stands yeah. out. And uh-huh. then, um, but she was like, but, but this woman is insisting like the, and she seems to be kind of like she's not having an episode or anything. And she is insisting that where she grew up in New Orleans, there were worms that would fall from the sky and burn you. Okay. And that just sounds so insane. That can't be real. But she's really 
adamant about it. And I was like, well, actually, I mean, they're not worms, but yeah, they will fall from the trees and they're covered in venomous spines and they burn like crazy. And so oh, cool. what sounded like just the ravings of a person with, with severe mental illness mm-hmm. was basically in her, you know, ability to express herself was absolutely true that these things get incredibly abundant and they will sort of jostle each other out of the trees over the sidewalks and they will fall on you and they will burn you. So it's not so um, much a sting as it is. It has like a, a barb or a spine that has a, has a chemical on it. Yeah. It's, it's a, like a hypodermic needle. Basically there's like a, a little oh, cool. uh, gland at the base of the spine that produces a venom and the venom gets injected into you. And, uh, and I can tell you from my own experimentation, the harder that you come up against this, like mm-hmm. if you just brushed it with your, with your hand, you know, your, the thick skin of your finger and you brushed it gently, you might not feel anything. But if you fully step on one barefoot or if you smack it into you by accident, like when you're like pruning your bushes or something, mm-hmm. you get delivered a dose that's proportional to how hard you hit it. And, is, it uh, is it one of those feelings that kind of feels like a stinging nettle where it's almost therapeutic in a sense because it's bringing a lot of blood to the area? It gets hot. Um, so the, I, I could see that. Um, it's maybe a little a little more intense than a nettle. Okay. Um, but but yeah, it's, it's bearable. It, it feels like like a mild burn. Does it leave um, any kind of like residue or like scar or anything that's like leave anything afterwards, like a pustule or anything bad like that? Or is it sort of like a, a free sting where you get to get to get stung and then go do, go have some beers. It lasts a, a, a pretty good while. I mean, it's not debilitating, right? You know, like you can definitely have some beers, but, um, it, it, it lingers for a while. It doesn't leave like any scars or like blisters or anything. Okay. Although they're, you know, venom is so chemically complicated that um, from even, excuse me, from one caterpillar to another, um, not the same species, but like a, another kind of caterpillar could have could have totally different chemicals, and mm-hmm. one could be like a, you know, one could cause crazy inflammation, the other could like directly cause your nerves to go all crazy, and so it feels like you're like an electric shock. Wow! Like they can they can target all kinds of different functions and have different effects. What other um, place things have you been bitten by besides that one in New Orleans? So stung, I've been stung by a lot of wasps. Um, bees, bees, honeybees don't really get me too bad. Um, I think that I went through the sensitization and then gradual desensitization. So, it, right. you know, it, it, it uh, honeybee stings are not very severe for me anymore. Um, fire ants are, Another one where I've been bit at this point so many times that I that I really don't have a huge reaction. I just kind of go straight to having a little pustule. I hate but those first, fire ants because I hate the pustule. Oh, yeah. The pustules, that's what makes it such a bad sting because it's like it leaves this thing that's basically like a pimple. And it's so, oh, mm-hmm. it's terrible because it itches. Then it's like, oh, you're itching this thing. And now you're going to uncover the pustule and yep. create basically an open. It can be really bad. Yeah, no, and then you can get an infection if you're if you're scratching at it. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, those things are um, and, bastards. Yeah, the first, time, first time I had that, I was on a, a sports field, and I didn't realize I was just standing in a fire ant mound until like they all crawl up your leg and they do a pheromonal signal. 
Oh yeah, I know. So they talk about this. <laughs> this is one of my favorite things about fire ants. I learned. Yeah. So they they they. It's not like each one individually crawls up and then bites you at the earliest opportunity. They crawl up and then they will release a chemical, basically a scent that they can detect. To, to trigger that they'll all bite you at the same time. So you end up getting covered with them without knowing it, and then all at once you've got, like, 50 bites going. That and, shit yeah, is just so bad. Bites. That stuff is, like, one of those things where, I don't know, ants to me are the thing that I'm, I'm always... Because I, I always feel like spiders are kind of um, autonomous, you know, and every other type of bug, but ants to me are the ones where you just kind of can't believe that that's real. Like, they, they do something that's so... That's so devious, the fact that they were able to do this this silent alarm that says, okay, everybody go now. It's so uh-huh. devastating. The only reason it's not incredibly devastating is it's such a small scale. It's like, it's something yeah. where, I don't know, I just find it infinitely fascinating that, that they can do something like that because it's so, it's so destructive. Uh-huh, and so sophisticated. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, again, E.O. E. Wilson, if I, I think the fire ant is probably his favorite insect. He really loves to talk about fire ants. But, um, and there's a funny video of him sticking his arm fully into a fire ant. Jesus now. Christ, man. There's a, there's a guy I, used to talk, I talked to when I was in college. I went to Florida State. And there's uh, a, they have a fire ant research team there, and also known as FART. Which they, <laughs> and it's okay. headed up by a guy. I'm not sure if he's still there. His name was Walter Chinkle. And he... Used to uh, he used to go out and um, he would cast uh, carp I think carpenter or not carpenter I think forester ants have these really really deep nests in the forest in Florida and he would pour plaster down empty nests and he would cast them and he'd spend like weeks excavating them and right when I first interviewed him for a TV project I was working on in college he was about to take out a bunch of aluminum shavings and in the field make like a crucible and pour melt, melt, uh, pour melted or molten aluminum down an empty fire ant nest to uh, cast it. I'm not sure if it's successful. But. So that's now a thing. Yeah, I, it's, a, I, it's it, a big thing now. Yeah, you can go on a YouTube rabbit hole of, of you know, uh, sort of DIY uh, hillbillies in, mm-hmm. in, in the southeast. Where it's like, yep, I melted down all my tin cans and I'm making a... Uh, fire ant cast which i have no problem with because the, the fire ants are actually there are native fire ants but the ones that are everywhere and are you know attacking people all the time are probably the invasive ones yeah that came from south america so you know, also been, i also heard that you really can't do anything about them like the you can destroy a colony but it's like i mean it's it's whack-a-mole times to the power of 10 you just you're doing nothing yeah. there's, there's almost nothing i guess the only thing you can really do to control fire ants that they said was that if there's one colony here that means another colony won't be that close to it so it's almost like yeah the devil you know (laughs) is if you have one that's a reasonable distance from your front door it'll keep other ones from being closer yeah no that's that's true or uh, yeah and at least you know where it is um yeah at least you know where it is exactly so i did notice after hurricane katrina when this whole city flooded that really knocked back the fire ant population in New Orleans okay. for a pretty good long while. But you know that's like scorched earth. It, it you can't you can't do that on purpose, really. Yeah. Like it just happened that it flooded the soil of an entire city, and those those things live in the soil. And so, it, but they they recolonized. I want to say within a few years. So you were studying uh, at Tulane during uh, during Katrina. 
I had moved down there in 2002, uh-huh. just for the, sort of for the hell of it, because my, my friend who was down there said it's fun and cheap and warm. And, uh, and so then I started grad school there in 2004 or three. So yeah, I was in the middle of my first master's degree at Tulane uh, when Katrina happened, which, um, so I was, for that, I was studying, I was doing mosquito work. I, I was re-illustrating and re-writing, basically, the identification manual for the mosquitoes of Louisiana. Oh, wow. Because uh, the old one was accurate, but, but not very user-friendly. And the, the main people who use it are mosquito control people who are not, like, academic entomologists. Yeah, they're so guys they who drive the fogger trucks. Right. And so, yeah, like they can use a microscope and they can, you know, they, they're perfectly competent, but mm-hmm. a lot of the technical terminology is not really useful when they're coming back with a bag full of thousands of like crushed up mosquitoes. Like, yeah. well, we can't see, you know, we're not going to dissect out the reproductive structures just to tell what species it is. We need uh-huh. something that's more obvious. So, so that was a project I did. And then for Katrina, I went up and, and evacuated to back to Maryland and got to work at the Smithsonian. Oh, um, cool. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, they helped me to to work on my project while I was out of out of town. I got to go in the in the back where all the you know the the storage, not in the museum, but the bug storage. storage? Uh huh. So, yeah, it was so really you... cool. I was able to like, actually get mosquito specimens from all these like rare things that I'd never seen before. So you've been bitten by mosquitoes a lot, then probably in the line of work. Yes. Yes. Is so, that something so where it, it just say again? Intentionally and not. <laughs> is that something where you're sort of, uh, I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like there's a lot of lore surrounding mosquitoes. I mean, I grew up in Minnesota, so there's, there's we have a lot of mosquitoes there. And there's a lot of, I have a friend who's like a biologist, and he claims that he just, he ignores them and they don't bite him. And there's also like, there's, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of different things people would say about how to get rid of them, how to stop them, what to do with a bite. Is there some of that stuff that you can talk about, like that's true and untrue, or you know? Yeah. Uh, um, so, speaking for Louisiana and the and the book, the you know the handbook, the identification handbook I wrote, there were over sixty species of mosquitoes in Louisiana, and most of them were ones that would bite a person if they had the opportunity, but they're not specialized. They don't seek out people. They tend to live in the woods, and they right. you know there's one that just only bites frogs. Like oh, it wow. literally wouldn't, wouldn't even bite a person, but there's others where it's like, oh yeah, I'll bite a person if if a hunter happens to go and mm-hmm. sit in my habitat. So a lot of there's there's a lot of variation from species to species. Like people, I mean, you may have heard people talk about ankle biters, right? And there are mosquitoes that will like hide out under your coffee table or like out on your patio, and they don't fly more than like two feet off the ground, and they are ankle biters. Wow. And then there's ones that fly like up around your head. Um, if they are ones that are adapted to feed on humans, they probably won't hurt right at the moment they bite you because that's okay. a recipe for getting infected. Yeah. Uh, so they'll have some sort of anesthetic chemical that makes it so you don't know you've been bitten until it itches later. Wow. Okay. I didn't know uh, that. And there's ones that are very strong flyers. And so... You know, they can kind of escape from you better. And then mm-hmm. there's ones that are wimpy flyers. And so they have to be really quiet and secretive. Um, so there's there's a lot of stuff like that. 
as far as like treating the bites, my personal folk wisdom is that I have learned through every possibility, you know, trying every possible thing. I'm, I'm, if I I'm ready for manage this. to ignore them, then it's not that they don't bite me, but the bite comes and goes without getting too bad. If you manage to ignore the bite. Like if I, if I can ignore the bite for a little while, then it'll go away. And, you know, I might just have like a little red dot on my skin, but I won't get like that puffy, super itchy thing. But if I start scratching it, then the histamines, you know, you generate the histamines and, and then it's a self-perpetuating cycle. What, so what about this thing? Is, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, it's just to suffer for, you know, a, a, a half hour or something. And then, and then it'll usually go down. What about this? I've heard two things about mosquitoes. I don't know if this is true. One is that they are attracted to you because of, uh, you give off... Actually, there's three things I've heard. I don't know if these are true. They're attracted because you give off carbon dioxide. That's how they find you. Two, that they bite certain people of a certain blood type more than others. And three, if you let the mosquito finish its meal, it will oftentimes suck out the uh, anesthetic that it's put in you then it'll make the bite less bad because that's the thing that makes a bite itch, right? Is the is the anesthetic it puts in. Go. <laughs> uh, the first one is unequivocally true. They um, they see carbon dioxide. They are attracted to carbon dioxide. In fact, for mosquito control, they will put dry ice uh, by the mosquito traps because that, like they they will fly toward it. Okay, cool. Because uh, dry ice is solid CO two. So as it you know the the smoke effect that's co2 turning into a gas so they just think it's some dog breathing a bunch and it's like a yeah there's a like that must be an animal or a whole lot of animals so we're Got gonna fly it. up this gradient of like increasing co2 and go toward the trap so that's uh-huh. that one's totally legit um and also not something you can control unfortunately you yeah can't stop <laughs> doing put, that put a mask on i um, don't know <laughs> yes yeah. um this let's see the second one the blood type one that is i've heard that um that one is a little i'm skeptical of it i can't say for sure if it's true or not mm-hmm. but like how would a mosquito when it's when it's deciding whether to bite you or not right how would it have the information of what blood type you have it would have to bite you to know and once it's bitten you you're bitten like you you it's done this it's right i suppose that's long. true it has, to, it has to try to know what blood type you have you as got me there <laughs> so my 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 deduction on that without knowing for sure is that that one's probably not true okay and the last one i would say i don't think that's true but what was the question it, i forgot <laughs> it was um if you let it finish its meal uh-huh you you'll it'll suck back out the enzymes or whatever, whatever saliva that it injected. And so you won't be as itchy. I think that that one is technically false Mm -hmm. because you're, you know, your circulatory system is going to take in that. It's going to take in whatever saliva comes in. And okay. I don't think it's going to get sucked back out, but in the practical terms, there may be some truth to it for a different reason, which is if you smack a mosquito two things might happen. Um, well, one thing will definitely happen. You will irritate the skin where you just got bit. Right. So it's the same thing of like, when I scratch it, it generates the histamines and it starts to make it itchy. Right. If you smack it, 
while it's biting you, you're immediately irritating the area and you're probably getting a, a very fast histamine response. So okay. smacking it is going to make it itch. Mm -hmm. And the second part of that is like what I was saying, if you smash one of those caterpillars into you really hard, you get a big dose of venom. If you smack a mosquito that's biting you, it's possible you might force more of the salivary. Like if you... Okay, you double it down it, there. You're... Inject, right. Got it. But yeah, smacking it is, is going to, for sure, make it more itchy just because it irritates the bite area. I have another question regarding this that made me think of something because there was one time, it was three of us um, in Florida and Tallahassee, we went out to have uh, lunch. It's this place it was an outdoor cafe in sort of like a, a shady area with a bunch of oak trees. So tons of fucking bugs, right? And a right. friend of ours, Matt, he was just in a car accident like a few weeks ago. Maybe it wasn't that. It was like a week before that. And uh, um, he, for some reason, of the three people sitting there, he uh, got bitten really, really bad by a bunch of mosquitoes just on his left arm. Like, significantly. There, there was like, I could see like 15 mosquitoes on his arm. And that was also the same arm that he had um, had a, a, an IV in, like very recently. Do you think there's any correlation to that or any sort of thing with there? Because it, it just one of those things that doesn't make any sense. Like why just him and just that one part of his body was so attractive to mosquitoes? I... That is... So that's a really potentially cool observation yeah and there's i mean yeah like that's the kind of thing they can sense chemicals in the air okay like co2 you know co2 from your skin or you know the ant smelling pheromones they they have very sensitive uh chemo receptors mm -hmm. and it's not always clear what things they're being attracted to or influenced by and it's it's plausible to me that um, that, you know, that, that if he had medicine or something on, my first guess would be that he had, like, not washed that arm as thoroughly or washed it more thoroughly, like, that there would be, that, just looking for why it might be different from one arm to yeah, the other. Yeah, okay. That, like, maybe because his elbow was sore from the IV, he didn't scrub that arm. Okay. Out. Like, that that would be the angle I would take is is why would it be different from one arm to the next? Yeah. If it's a fully internal medicine thing, it would you'd think it would be systemic throughout yeah. the whole body. Hmm. Um unless it was like a topical if there's some kind of topical ointment or Yeah. My guess is that it would be affected by something that's emanating off of the skin of his arms and one arm was either making more or less of something that was good or bad to a mosquito. Mosquitoes, you just—they're just—you can't bust them. No, they're no. not going anywhere, they're, are they? No, they're very resilient. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it's a—if if, you're—if uh, you're looking for money to make in being an entomologist, um, you'd never go broke working on mosquitoes. Are you familiar with the product known as Herbal Armor? Um. I don't know if I'm familiar with that one as a brand, but I, I've I've tried some different herbal uh, insect repellents. It's a DEET-free. Uh, it's sold everywhere. If you go any place where you know, you're going to go hiking or like REI or some crap, any place, they're going to sell this stuff. It comes in a mostly green bottle. It's called Herbal Armor. It's an insect repellent. It's DEET-free. 
And I, I believe it doesn't work at all. Like it literally does nothing. <laughs> uh, uh, I wonder if you could just talk about stuff like that, because I, I mean, I've been wanting to call them on the podcast and say, Hey guys, um, there's nothing is literally does nothing at all. I've watched mosquitoes land on an area immediately after I sprayed it on my arm. Like this is, this is hokum at its finest. I don't know what the regulatory environment is around, uh, like, insect repellents, where do they have to actually, like, do tests and I think it's got to be algae. not at all. I bet there's not a goddamn thing they have to do. <laughs> I mean, it's quite possible. It's kind of like with herbal supplements. You can, as long as it's not harmful and it's not something that the FDA or, or someone can have a reason to get their hooks into it, mm-hmm. then you can just say, oh, yeah, this will, you know, this will make you feel better. Um, take this you know, eat this plant. Um, so it's, it's possible that those uh, sort of herbal insecticide, uh, insect repellents are not, are completely unsupervised. Um, I have tried though, some of them, I have tried some where I thought they were somewhat effective, but that all is, it's going to be in the context of how many mosquitoes there are. Cause yeah. DEET is for sure like, it's a terrible, you know, strong chemical. But it works. But, man, it works. But there's times where, like, if you're in a full-on swarm, it's like the the, the, the bloodlust. Like they, they don't give a shit. They, they don't give a shit. They, they, they will jump on you because they're just starving and desperate for food, and, and they'll overcome their uh, the repellent effects. So if you are in an area that's really, like, an intense fighting area, and you wear something that's less than deep, mm-hmm. it's going to be less effective. What is, yeah. what is the idea of repellent anyways? What is it that's making them not want to bite you? Because like this stuff has peppermint, it's got uh, some citronella, lemongrass, cedar, geranium. These are all things that are very fragrant. Mm-hmm. So what about, I don't, I've never understood that exactly. I mean, it kind of makes sense to me, but also I, I'm not a mosquito, you know? Right. Citronella, I think, has some effect on, like, people use citronella candles right. and, and stuff like that. But chemically, I don't know. Like, um, I don't know if it's, like, blocking their ability to detect you. Yeah. Like, if you're releasing a chemical that would attract a mosquito and if, and the DEET, like, covers that up or, like, combines that chemical in a way that makes you effectively invisible... Or is it that it's actually repellent and it's like, oh, well, I'm smelling the CO2 coming off Johnny, but I'm not going to go over there because there's this stinky deet smell mm-hmm. that, that's blocking me. Um, or if they have to land on you and taste the deet and they're like, this is gross. Or is it poison? Like, yeah, I, I, I really am not sure of the mechanism. Well, whatever it is, it doesn't really work. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> in my experience in the Sierra and the mountains of... Uh, Southern California, the mosquitoes that are there, the ones that are at about 5,000 to 7,000 feet, don't give a shit about anything that smells. Even if I t- I've taken huge clumps of pennyroyal, which is like a really, really fragrant herb that smells like a mixture between uh, gasoline and mint, uh-huh. and I've just rubbed it all over myself. I put like huge patches of it underneath my hat and everywhere, and that seems to do something, but also I think it's just the sheer activity of I'm always moving my hands around so goddamn much that it keeps them from biting me. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, we had, we went camping one time, and this was uh, we're kind of we're pretty high up, like eight thousand feet. There are a lot of lakes. We had to, we couldn't stay. We we're gonna stay out a couple nights. We're like, well, this is we have to go back. 
We went back the next morning. It was just, it was, I've never been so punished by mosquitoes. It was, it was relentless. Yeah. Several of the worst nights I've ever had, bar none, like the two of probably the three worst nights I've ever spent were out in the marsh at like a fishing camp Mm -hmm. where there was no wind and there were tears in the screen. So I wasn't (laughs) even fully exposed to the mosquitoes. Yeah. But they could come through the screen, and meanwhile, the marsh outside sounded like like a like a car revving its engine just from the mosquitoes Jesus. humming. And then you know you you try to fall asleep, and you you've got that like the illusion. Even if they're not actively biting you, you're 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 spinning around, thinking they're about to bite you, or, mm-hmm. or the one's buzzing in your ear. And yeah, it's it's a nightmare. It's terrible. Um, Is there any uh, more insect stuff you can? Uh... Do you have anything you want to lay on us before we adjourn? I had one thing that I thought you might get a kick out of. Okay. Um, because of your show having a focus on sort of experimental music uh-huh. and, and audio and stuff. Um, there's a... It's one of the only good not children's songs about about insects that I can, that I can think of. I was okay. trying to rack my brain. So, you're familiar with Money Mark? Yeah, I know Money Mark. Yeah, I actually met him a bunch of times. You see, he, he really? hangs oh, out. Man, dream. Yeah. <laughs> He's awesome. Um, he, he has a song called Insects Are All Around Us. Okay. Where he samples cricket sounds. Oh, cool. I don't think I've heard this one. It's, it's a legitimately good song, but, but also it's sort of factually interesting because mm-hmm. he has a little uh, old-timey like uh, radio narrator mm-hmm. voice saying a little spiel about crickets and so the, the it's actually accurate but that you can tell the temperature by the rate at which the crickets repeat their chirping wow there's like a calculation you can do of like you know how many chirps per second and then divide by something and you can get an approximation of the temperature but then he samples the cricket sounds um so so that's a a song i can recommend as an entomological song nice I'll, I'll i'll throw it on the podcast here we'll, we'll close out with that you know when i when i cut it down um i guess the only other thing i was trying to think uh, if uh i could do a classic sort of podcast plug uh-huh please which is for a website that i can recommend to everybody totally free and it is uh it's called bug guide mm-hmm. it's bugguide.net okay I'm checking it out right now. And it is a citizen science undertaking where people can post photos of insects mm-hmm. and then experts who participate in the site will identify them. And so, you know, if you just see a cool bug and you want to know what it is or, you know, like, oh, my gosh, I saw this thing in my baby's crib. Is it going to bite my baby? And you post a photo and, you know, oh, no, that's yeah. just a millipede. It's fine. It's harmless. So it's a service in that way, but also then it accumulates data over time of like, you know, oh, well, this, you know, that's yeah pretty cool that you posted that photo from your mountain hike because not a lot of people go up on that mountain. You now have posted the first species record of that butterfly from the state of California. Oh, that's so cool. It builds up a, it's like a database mm-hmm. of stuff that's accumulated from scientists, but also most of it comes from just regular people who like to take photographs of bugs. That's awesome. So, yeah, so you can get your questions answered or you can just share your photos and, uh, and it'll, it'll build more information. So that's a site that I participate in and I really enjoy. So Thanks so much, it. Mark. I appreciate it. Bugguide.net. It's two Gs.
Yes, two Gs. Thanks for being here. I really, I really appreciate it. It's like an encyclopedia. Oh, sorry. I'm talking over. No, it's, uh, I said thanks. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, keep me posted on any uh, new biting experiments you do with your friend. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, yeah, thanks for having me. It was a ton of fun. Do if you, you ever any... have any more questions, just give me a holler. Do you have any more bites scheduled? Um, it really depends on being able to get some new biting things. Okay. Um, things that we haven't already already tested what's on the um, bite list oh man so we want to get we want to get things that people are likely to encounter sort okay. of from a public health standpoint, like not just from our curiosity standpoint yeah. so so things like that people would run into in their gardens or um we're really interested in get, getting all the different paper wasps okay um, cool from all the different parts of the country nice and and that actually matters for, for medicine because uh, people with allergies, they give an anti-venom. Mm -hmm. Like there's a company that makes just like they make anti-venom for snakes. Right. But the anti-venom mixture for paper wasps, it, there's like one mixture for all of the eastern United States. And like I'm in Atlanta now, and if I get the same anti-venom as, you know, somebody might get in New Orleans, there's different paper wasp species. So the chemical mixture of the anti-venom might not be appropriate to my geographic sort of specific area. So we're trying to really sort of nail yeah. that down of, of what wasps are where. Awesome. Well, good luck. I'll talk soon. Yeah, Take thanks. care, Mark. Okay. Thanks a lot. Good night. Happy bugging. All right. Same to you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Live the Tape, the Executive Buffet with Johnny Pemberton, a.k.a. Kevin Tipborn, a.k.a. the driver, owner, operator of Daddy's Big Red Truck where we put all of our hands on the branch each week for you. Please visit johnnypemberton.org for more information and support your local entomologist by going to the library and checking out books on how to handle bugs and insects in your neighborhood. Live long, stay strong, dig down the dirt. It's ready for you. Network.